Hello, and welcome to this episode of the Ritman Grace Podcast. We hope that it will encourage you as you seek to follow God and grow in your faith. If you would like to know more about our church, you can check us out at www.ritmangrace.org or feel free to email us at ritmangbc at aol.com. But for right now, let's get into today's message. Well, good morning. I have to tell you, I was uh, sitting in Sunday school this morning, looking out the door, and I saw Eric walk by. And I thought, oh, I am way too far north. So I got out my map. It's good to see you again. I want to share with you uh, briefly, uh, first a word of thanks for taking care of Stella and I as we go about the ministry that God has called us to, which is uh, essentially supporting Bible translation. And I wanted to share with you, I have statistics. No good sermon is complete without statistics. I wanted to share with you a little bit about missions at the airport and the, uh, the results of that. We, uh, the helicopter flew in on Monday prior to last weekend. So Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, we were able to take the helicopter. We visited four Christian schools and two churches. And we had an average of attendance at those presentations of about 100, which is easy to do when the helicopter is the, the hook to get you to come out. But we, had, uh, we are seeing the pendulum swing, and the young people are once again excited about missions and God. So it was an amazing week of visits, although we were tired. Um, for the weekend event, we had 104 aircraft flights were given, 331 passengers. We had 30 missionaries from four different organizations represented over the weekend. Um, attendance of about 620 people, give or take. We estimated that the same way we estimate the number of people that Hebrews that came out of Egypt, it was a guess, but we did try to do a little counting. So we were able, most importantly, we were able to share the gospel. There were significant gospel conversations, and several of us had the privilege over the course of the weekend to pray with young people that were stirred by what they learned about what God is doing and wanted to know more about becoming missionaries. So. What an amazing privilege. And you're part of that story. It takes all of us. Uh, again, you heard this last week from the missionaries that, that were able to be with us. It takes all of us together to spread the gospel. That's God's plan for missions, right? There's an amen out there somewhere. Okay, okay. It takes all of us doing what God has called us to do, working together. Missions remember, is not a church or an organization doing something specific. True missions is the movement of the body of Christ. That's all of us together. Okay, let's move on. Let me get all my stuff ready. You got to have notes and stuff to do a sermon. And we're going to go back to 2 Timothy chapter 3. back to the passage that was read earlier. It's a familiar passage, isn't it? We all probably have used that passage as we watch the news, especially these days. Yeah, we, that makes sense. The world's kind of a mess, right? 
Here's what's interesting about this passage. This comes to us, was penned by Paul, and it was written to the church. When that sunk in to me, as I studied through the pastoral epistles, First and Second Timothy and Titus, it's written to the church. It's not written to the world. Just let that sink in a minute. It's not about the world. It's about the church. So let's, let's read 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 9, or 2 Timothy. I get made fun of for saying 2 Timothy. But know this, Paul writes to Timothy, who, where, where is Timothy right now? As near as we can figure from history, when this letter is written. Right? He's... He's in charge of the church in Ephesus, right? Eric, you're formally trained, right? Okay. All right. So the church in Ephesus was not unlike church. There were a lot of pressures coming on the church, both from within and without, to do things differently. We don't like the message, all that kind of stuff. And 2 Timothy in particular falls under the category of famous last words. We find those occasionally in the Bible. Moses in the book of Deuteronomy. John in the final, or uh, Jesus in the final discourse in John chapters 14 through 17. John, the book of Revelation. And 2 Timothy, Paul his last words to the church. You find in those passages a very different sense of urgency. And the communication is far more direct and in some cases harsh in order to convey, this is the last time I'm going to tell you. You remember that from growing up? I can hear my dad going, Jim, this is the last time I'm telling you. That meant this time you better pay attention. This what's happening here. So he writes to Timothy, but know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come. When are the last days? It's okay, you can say it. When Jesus ascended, we're in the last days. Now, if we go beyond that, as we go through this, what we're going to discover is we're in the last days of the last days. I believe that. Jesus said, you don't know the hour or the day. But you are called to discern the times, just like we figured out the seasons. Are you watching? Let me give you a key. Israel, watch what's happening in the Middle East. The, the news media here has you all off track. I Turn it off, right? Perilous times will come, for men will be, remember, this is the church he's writing to, lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemous, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers without self-control. Brutal despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, 
having a form of godliness, but denying its power. And from such people, this is a huge sentence right here, and from such people turn away. Isn't that interesting? So are we to turn away from people in the church? I'm going to let you study that out for yourselves, like the Bereans had to do. But I want you to just think about that sentence. For of this sort are those who creep into households and take captives of gullible women loaded down with sins, led away by various lusts, always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now as Janus and Jambres resisted Moses, so do these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds disapproved concerning the faith, but they will progress no further, for their folly will be manifest to all. Janus and Jambres, by the way, as near as scholars and historians can tell us, are probably the magicians that opposed Moses in the court of Pharaoh. So when Moses is turned his rod into a snake, they turned their rods or blankets or whatever they had into snakes. You, you remember the story. So, written to the church, what a nasty passage for us to think about. So here's, here's the first thing we need to realize about the nature of the battle that we face right now. The corruption of man is complete and total, right? Way back in Genesis chapter 3, the serpent deceived Eve. Eve took of the fruit, gave it to Adam, who, by the way, this is the first indication that man has abdicated his role as man. Instead of intervening, right? Because the scripture tells us Adam was there. I said, he knew the command, don't eat the fruit. But they chomped away happily anyway. And death and sin entered the world. Complete and total corruption of man. Now what that means is that does away with They're good people, they just need Jesus. Not biblical. Jesus said, why do you call me good? There is no one good but the Father in heaven. Remember that? Our corruption was complete. And we see that because the very next thing that happened in Scripture was murder. Cain murdered Abel. See, sin didn't just come in and grow gradually, did it? We went right straight to murder. The corruption of man is complete. In Genesis chapter 6, remember what God said before the flood about man's heart? He said, every imagination of the man's heart is evil. And he was grieved that he made us. Every imagination of man's heart was evil. 
So God intervened because corruption was total. But destruction was not total. Because eight people on a boat, he preserved. Now you fast forward just maybe 150 years, if that. You know what we find? After the flood, it didn't take long. Man repopulated. And we went completely off the path again at in a valley called Shinar at a place called the Tower of Babel. Now, rather than total destruction this time, what did God do? Confused the languages so we couldn't communicate. What was the sin at the Tower of Babel? Do you remember? Pride. What was the sin at the tree when Adam and Eve ate of the fruit? Pride. Total corruption. We can be like God. John MacArthur wrote in one of his commentaries, this really hit me because it applies to me very much. <clears throat> Self-centered Christians who serve the Lord half-heartedly seldom have to pay a price for their faith. They are a little threat to Satan's work because they are a little benefit to Christ. Isn't that a sobering, sobering passage or a sobering thought? Even if you don't like it, I thought, that's me. I was trying to think, when's the last time I actually paid a price for my faith? Besides getting yelled at in Walmart because I shared the gospel. I couldn't come up with one. Because we're pretty comfortable here, aren't we? You know why that is? Well, let's read on. Second Timothy, chapter 3, beginning in verse 10. But you, we've just got all this bad news about us, the church. Take heart, it gets better. But you have carefully followed my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, afflictions which happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and Lystra, what persecutions I endured. And out of them all the Lord delivered me. Okay, here it is. Pay close attention to this one. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ. I tried to build a whole theology around this and to fill a football stadium, but I couldn't do it. No one claims this promise. Unlike Jeremiah 29, 11, which claim readily. Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. How can that be? God wants me to be happy. But evil men and impostors will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But you, followers of Christ, I added that, that's not inspired. But you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of knowing from whom you have learned them. Where did you learn about Christ, really? Any of us as followers of Christ, where did we learn about Christ? 
from the gospel, from the word of God. Ultimately, that's where you learned about Christ. For those of you who have accepted Jesus Christ, you didn't study every world religion and decide which one made most sense for you, did you? How many of you did that? Studied every world religion and said, I think I'm going to go with Christianity. We're called. We are called by the sovereign God of heaven, the very hands that created us and breathed life into us, called us out of the world individually and into the community of the body of Christ. Isn't that an amazing thing? He calls us by name. And those hands that formed us from the dust of the ground that he created, and he breathed life into us, those were the hands that were nailed to the cross for you and for me. And yet, evil men and impostors will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them. And that from childhood you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in all the good stuff you do. No, through faith, which is in Jesus Christ. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. All scripture, the whole Bible, is given to you that you may be equipped for every good work. That's odd, given that passage talks about all the bad stuff that's going to get worse and worse, isn't it? The corruption of man was total. We have an enemy, an adversary, the devil. 1 Peter 5.8 says, let's read it together. Turn to 1 Peter 5.8. Actually, let's begin in verse 6. 1 Peter 5, verse 6. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Be sober. Be vigilant. Because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him, steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. Your adversary, the devil, we have an enemy, and he hates us. And he's not looking to get you off track a little. He's not looking to bog the church down a little bit. He wants us destroyed. Now, if you don't believe that, watch the news and what they are doing to the Christian faith. We have been hated since day one. 
By the way, that goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 3. If you really study through scripture carefully, other than abdicating our role as men at the tree, do you know what else we did as human beings? Remember from your studies of scripture? We turned dominion of the world over to who? Satan. See, God created us, put us in the garden, and he said, take care of everything I've given you, right? Work the ground. But we said we want to be like God. And as soon as the fruit was eaten of, we turned dominion over to Satan of this world. And God allows it to go forward, doesn't he? Why do you think God allows evil to keep going? Do you, you have any thoughts about that? Why? I'll give you my opinion. It's not inspired. It's below the line in your study Bible. I think because the corruption of man was complete, God is going to show his mighty hand, first in patience, waiting for all those who will respond to respond. Secondly, He's going to defeat evil in the very element in which it exists. And he will allow it to run its absolute complete course until the ultimate evil happens, which is the abomination of nations, the abomination of desolations, when the Antichrist steps into the temple, which will be rebuilt, and says, I am God. The pinnacle of evil is that moment. And then the end shall come. He will have totally defeated evil that has run its complete course. There will be no, nothing left to say, well, you didn't let this happen. Satan will have no more ground to stand on. He will have had his full reign, and then he'll be destroyed. Okay? We have an enemy, Satan. His goal is to devour you. And don't think that because you're saved, Satan can't use you. You'll have the opportunity maybe to sit across the table from Peter in heaven and find out that Satan uses Christians. He's crafty. And by the way, Satan's not always hanging out at bars or Harley rallies or whatever. You know what he's doing? He's joining churches. How many mainstream denominations do you know today that have made decisions to include in their policy things that are absolutely opposed in Scripture? I would submit to you those that haven't are talking about it. Right? Let's be honest. See, Satan has done that subtly, hasn't he? He's done it very subtly. And he lies. You know what else he likes to do? He wants you to question authority. He loves that. Let's get the church arguing over whether or not we like Pastor Bud. Pastor Bud made this decision and we don't like it. I'm going to oppose it. He loves that. 
He wants you to debate issues that are clear in Scripture. If he can get us to debate issues like abortion and all the other things, if we start debating those within the church, we're two-thirds of the way to hell. Because the things that are clear in Scripture are clear in Scripture. He does lots of other things to get us off track, but he's not coming through the front door with horns and a pointy tail and a fork and says, hi, I'm the devil, I'm here to destroy you. He's working quietly around the edges. He wants you to argue with each other. He loves that. He wants you to think that walking up the aisle and being baptized is all that salvation really is and you can go on about your life and come on Christmas and Easter. We won't make all those Christmas Easter jokes, but you get the point. Chapter 4. I love this part. I charge you, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Did you get the urgency in that little passage? He goes right for the jugular here. I charge you, therefore, before God, church, emphasis added, that's mine, and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. You've got to be in the word of God all the time. Hebrews tells us, Hebrews 4, I think, the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. The power is in the word of God. It doesn't matter what programs we implement. It doesn't matter how cool we look. None of that matters. The power of God unto salvation is the word of God. Period. Now, don't get mad at me for that. I don't write the mail. I just deliver it. You can study that out in Scripture. Be ready in season, out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching, for the time will come. Oh, here we go. For the time will come when they will no longer endure sound doctrine. But according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. But you, be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of evangelists, fulfill your ministry. Those of you who are my age, I'm 57. If you're my age or older, you might remember what really started right after World War II. So all you young people, you, you're not going to remember this. There, there, there arose this big competition between Coke and Pepsi about who's going to be America's soft drink. Anybody remember these commercials? It was huge. And they went at it. And eventually... Coke won out and became America's soft drink for the baby boomer generation. You remember that? All you young people don't remember that. <laughs> well, Pepsi turned up the heat a little bit, and Pepsi decided 
that I studied marketing in college a little bit, so this is a famous one. But it, the illustration is, is valid. So Pepsi realized we're not going to get the baby boomer generation. Coke got them. There's nothing we can do about it. So you know what they did? They launched a campaign, the choice of a new generation. Anybody remember the commercials? Everywhere on TV, the choice of a new generation. And you know what happened? It worked. Pepsi started gaining market share. Coke got scared. So Coke responded with what is still today known as the greatest commercial ever made in 1971. Does anybody remember what it was? That's it. Young men and women from all over the world standing on a hillside in Italy holding an ice-cold bottle of Coke singing, I'd like to teach the world to sing. And we were going to have world peace through Coke, you see. Well, it worked, right? Coke started getting the, the, the generation back that they thought they had lost to Pepsi. So here's what Pepsi did. They launched a campaign called the Pepsi Taste Challenge. Does anybody remember that? Two, two Dixie cups of Coke and Pepsi. And they had strangers tastes and say which one tastes best. And lo and behold, Pepsi always won. The people that paid for the advertising. And we became the dumbest generation. But it worked. It worked. Now, by this time in marketing history, the pressure is great on these two giants to take over the market. Okay? Pressure from within the organizations and pressure from the culture. So how did Coke respond? They responded with what is known as the greatest marketing folly in history. They changed their formula. New Coke. Did you, did you catch that? As a result of pressure from within and without, by the culture and by the organizations, Coke changed its formula. What's happening in the church today? We just read about it. They will heap up for themselves teachers who tell them what they want to hear. We have gone to the culture and said, what do you want us to do to get you to church? And we started changing our formula. You know what happened to Coke? Biggest marketing failure in history. New Coke. They made a public apology, went back to the way it used to be. Isn't that interesting? kind of illustrates what's happened throughout church history, that cycle that we see. The church began, and we started seeing this influx in our seminaries of all new kinds of thinking and higher criticisms and different ways of the church starts losing ground. And some guy saunters up to a door at a church, nails up, 95 theses, and we have a reformation, and we have the Great Awakening. Over and over again, the church has to be called back to its original purpose was, don't change, preach the word, make disciples. 
Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't change our methods with the times. That's, that's different. But what we see over and over again is we're compromising the message so people who don't believe feel comfortable. Isn't that an interesting formula? So at what point do we jump out of the closet and say, surprise? You, you, you think about that. But God. But God. He knew what we were going to do. He made a way for us to heaven where there was no way. He sent his son. He died on the cross for us and said, just follow me. It's costly, right? There's nothing easy about following Christ. You're going to get hurt. You're going to get muddy. You're going to deal with all kinds of trials and tribulations. But the best is yet to come. Follow me. Our corruption was total. Our enemy is unmatched by anything we can come up with. And the best news of all, our restoration in Christ is total and complete. He has taken out our hearts of stone and placed within us a heart of flesh and said, you now belong to me, and that's sealed by my Holy Spirit. Right? That's in Ephesians. We're sealed by the Holy Spirit, which means, listen, we're sealed by the Holy Spirit. Right? Third person of the Trinity. I think the King James Version uses earnest. The Holy Spirit is given to us in earnest. You know what earnest money is from a mortgage? Some of you young people may not know this either. That's from old too. Earnest money. You pay a big down payment, and if you don't show up with all the rest of the money on the day that it's time to close, they keep the money. So if the Holy Spirit seals us for salvation, that means, if you use the term earnest, that means if God doesn't show up to claim us when time's done, he loses the third person of the Holy Trinity, which is the Holy Ghost, which means the only way you can lose your salvation is if God stops being God. You get that? We are sealed. Scripture tells us that he has given us everything we need in him to live a life godly and to go forward with the main purpose, which is given to us in Matthew 28, the Great Commission, which we call it, which says, go into all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded. Stay firm. You're a mighty church here. The little churches are mighty. You sat under Pastor Bud for how many years has he been here? How many? 30-some. The impact he's had on lives over all those years can't be calculated. Mine included. My wife's. Stand firm on the truth of God's word. And don't let culture push you off that foundation. Don't let them do it. We're losing our families. Satan has ravaged the family. 
foundation of the church. We're losing our kids. We are in a battle. The wartime theme pervades throughout Scripture. You've sat under the Word of God here more than 30 years. And your prayers for Stella and I prove that you stand for the Word. Keep doing it. Pass it on to the young people. Don't tell them it's all fun and games. Because you know what happens when they reach graduation and leave the nest? If you don't have them grounded in Scripture by then, you will lose them in the universities. The universities have an agenda, most of them. That's a sweeping generalization, not all of them. Instill the Word of God in them. I'm going to quit there because Doris said I wasn't allowed to go over. I want five minutes, I'm sorry. Let's say a prayer together. Father God, what an amazing privilege we have to be your church. We thank you for the finished work of the cross, and I pray you would finish this message in the hearts of each person here. And Father, we do pray that you would help us to stand firm, to stay strong, and above all else, to never lose sight of a blood-stained cross in an empty tomb and a living Savior. In Jesus' precious name we pray until all have seen and heard. Amen. Thanks again for listening to this episode of the Ritman Grace Podcast. If you have questions or would like to know more about our church, please visit www.ritmangrace.org or email us at ritmangbc at aol.com.